Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to the ninth season of the Baseball America College Podcast along with Jim Schoenard and Michael Anna. I am your host, John Manuel. Been doing these podcasts since 2006, if you can believe that, on the college side. So uh, we're entering, getting ready to come into our second decade of college baseball podcasting. So we welcome you guys all back to the season. Definitely, uh, I think people could use a little college baseball with the snow on the ground in most of the country. We're trying to bug out here in North Carolina before we get some snow. I think it was about this time last year, guys, that took me an hour and a half to get home driving through uh, North Carolina panic drivers in the snow. I think you were doing well if it was an hour and a half. I think I, I did do <laughs> I well. I got top three hours. And then, of course, there was all the gifs and the fun with Photoshop of the Hoth, you know, play, uh, Raleigh as uh, Hoth Ice Planet. Um, I enjoyed some of those. This was about this time last year. It was, it was opening. Now. It was leading up to opening weekend because I remember a bunch of games got snowed out, and I remember there was snow on the ground driving to uh, Wilmington for opening weekend last year, and that was a uh, no that fun. was chaotic. It was chaotic, and uh, nobody got snowed out in this area this weekend. A lot of games were compressed. They just got colded out. They got colded <laughs> out, and uh, our Hudson Belinsky was uh, on the road all weekend down on the coast in Myrtle Beach and Wilmington. Jimmer, you went to some games at NC State. Mike, you were over in Greenville. I was home this weekend because I was in New Jersey all week, and that was enough for any man to be three days in New Jersey. So we're going to talk college baseball. We will always take your questions. Podcast at BaseballAmerica.com is the email address. You can tweet at us. I'm at John Manuel BA. He's at Jim Schoner BA. Mike is at M. Lamana. And uh, you can uh, use the hashtag BAPod if you want to ask us questions at any time for Baseball America podcast. And we'll also remind you that our college coverage and our Baseball America podcast is brought to you by Louisville Slugger. You can tweet at them at Slugger Nation or on Instagram at Slugger Nation. We're powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark, Louisville Slugger. And guys, uh, the college top 25 rankings, our first in-season rankings, not a whole lot of movement uh, was necessary this week in the rankings. Pretty much chalk. That's how Jim started the meeting. How far do we want to go chalk? Jimmy wound up going chalk pretty far. Through seven, yep. There was, I mean, other than, I mean, just not too many not too many of those top teams really challenged themselves this weekend. Obviously, we did have Virginia going on the road to ECU, which is a, that's decent. And obviously, South Carolina played College of Charleston. That's a good series. But other than, obviously, we'll talk about Rice and Texas and Oklahoma State, Arizona State. But outside of those, you know, those top seven teams all just took care of business. Not really, um, obviously, Vanderbilt got a big push from Santa Clara, but, uh, it was pretty much as as expected, and that was yeah. That, that's the only team that really was threatened with moving mm-hmm. down. Really, was the Commodores. Mm-hmm. I guess we thought about it for a minute, Mike. I mean, it was your first top twenty-five meeting as a full staff member, not as an intern. A little different, a little different deal with your full staff. Uh, 
And the interns thing is like, okay, uh, type this up and <laughs> yeah. make sure that we, we've all got other more important things to do. Now you're in the more important things to do category. But um, did, uh, did you think about moving? Uh, it was really more like LSU was pretty impressive rather than Vanderbilt really stumbled so badly. Right, right. I mean, I, I thought in our preseason top 25 about putting LSU number one potentially, but obviously Vanderbilt being the, the reigning national title winners, you know, we gave them the nod and, you know, I think I think we're right in sticking with them this week. You know, it's just it's obviously a very small sample size, just three games. But you know, LSU they got a strong start from Alex Lang this weekend, who is their you know their their big name freshman that they brought in right. um, out of their starters. So that's that's an encouraging sign. He didn't seem like he was uh, bothered at all. You know, didn't have any any rookie jitters out there on the mound, which is good. And obviously, I mean that lineup, you know, it showed its potency early. So it's, it's always tough, I think, in that opening weekend. Like, how much stock do you want to put in a starting pitcher, and how much they do? When you really right. think about the fact that these college pitchers have a three week spring training, you know, they have three weeks to get geared up, and how much can you really expect them to be in mid season form? So when you see someone go out and dominate like Kyle Funkhauser and Michael Machuela did, and we'll talk about them. In the course of the podcast, you get excited about that. And then when someone else, you know, Carson Fulmer goes five innings, that's really kind of, it's about right. That's about what I'd expect. Right. I'm at the ABCA convention down in Orlando. Um, I was talking with Bob Brownlee, who works for Boris Corp now. And one of the reasons he works for Boris Corp now is because he got hurt in college as a junior when he entered the year as the number one college draft prospect on the board. And why did he get hurt? Because he threw his last star for Team USA on three days rest, which is very hard to imagine. And he threw a CG his first time out for Rutgers, which was his first time outdoors, not pitching in a parking lot. So, But he went seed complete game right from the start. I tweeted out last week. I don't know if you guys saw the top 25 tracker from 2000. I had 360 pitch outings wow. in a February wow. top 25 tracker. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like Ben Diggins, who had been a supplemental first-rounder out of high school, was throwing 160 pitches that year. That was his freshman year. It's like three weeks in. 160 pitches. So college pitching and the way they're handled has really evolved over the years. And uh, so I don't know how much – that's a long way of saying I'm not sure how much stock I put in how well Alex Lang pitched and that it was only five innings. I think I put a lot of stock in that, that he pitched well. Right. But, like, do I knock off Jake Godfrey for only – for not lasting four innings? Not really. It's early. Um, concerning those two teams, the, the bigger sign I thought was actually uh, Jordan Sheffield and Phil Pfeiffer. Both pitching really well for Vanderbilt. And Philip Pfeiffer missed last year. What was that? I think a team violation. Yeah, it was, it's kind of nebulous. nebulous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, Jim's worked here a long time. I think he's heard me say <laughs> nebulous a million times. It's a good word. I think it is. But I mean, uh, what his quote in here? It's been twenty months, one week, and three or four days since I last pitched for Vanderbilt. I'll take you back to the fact that Phil Pfeiffer, when he was in high school, was like the go-to pitcher for the 18U team. Um, he wasn't the best prospect on that team, but he had polish. He had a br- great breaking ball. Left-handed, he's had arm injuries, he's had personal issues off the field. This is kind of a secret weapon for Vanderbilt. We didn't really take into a significant account when we were ranking them preseason number one. I mean, I didn't. It wasn't. He wasn't one of the big reasons why. But there's another X factor for Vanderbilt and another example of their depth. And they can pull a guy like Phil Pfeiffer out there, who's going to be a, a factor for them this season. So that's just another great sign of their depth. So uh, hard-fought weekend for them. Uh, not a lot else uh, jumped out as far as other surprises. In the top ten, though, Mike, uh, you were in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, for UVA at East Carolina. And uh, kind of an interesting weekend for the Cavaliers because Joe McCarthy's injury, right. um, you know, kind of how that would affect them, didn't really make it through the Cavaliers off their stride at all. They sweep the Pirates on the road. What was your impression of UVA this weekend? 
Right. Well, obviously the outfield looks a lot different this year. I mean, you don't have Joe McCarthy out with back surgery. You don't have Derek Fisher. You don't have Pappy out there either. Um, they started a converted infielder, um, Ernie Clement, a freshman, out in center field. And, you know, he covered some ground. He There weren't a lot of fly balls of the first two games with Nathan Kirby and Connor Jones starting. Both, both were excellent. Um, so you didn't really get a chance to, to see him test, uh, test center field all that much. But... Um, he, he was impressive in the few catches he made. He ranged from center field all the way to right field and caught a ball that really should have been for the other freshman in right, Adam Hazley. should have been his ball, but right. uh, you know it shows his range. And he batted leadoff um, for Virginia, and, and uh, you know he looks like a, a scrappy kind of leadoff guy you know in the mold of, of a Juan Pierre um, player. Um, had some bunt singles and uh, some infield singles. He swung at the very first pitch of the season and, and, and beat out an infield hit. Hmm. So he, he's an interesting guy. Um, and then Matt Feist, uh, sophomore DH for, for them, he, uh, he had a big weekend, um, batting 500, hit two home runs on the Saturday doubleheader. Um, last year in 68 bats, he didn't hit a single home run. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the, the new balls later, whether that had right. any kind of impact this weekend. It is inevitable. These <laughs> things will be discussed in, this year. Inevitable. That's right. Nicely. Uh, Nicely done. It is the inevitable. Little, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I think we're gonna, that might have to be our new hashtag when we talk about the baseball. <laughs> hashtag inevitable. See if that, that might have some legs. I'll write that down. We'll, we'll give it. I forget. All right. It's making the notebook. It's, it is. It's in pen. I like that. Um, um, and, and there weren't really any surprises that they pitched well. No. Uh, especially Kirby. Uh, I know Waddell's well, experience. But Connor Jones was a big guy. I think he was number 33 on the BA 500 two years ago to high school. Yeah. But this was his first weekend in ensconced, not in Velva, but ensconced right. on the weekend rotation. Seems like he was more than up to it. Right. Well, the one thing, let me just start with Kirby. The one thing uh, about him that impressed me this weekend is he mixed in his changeup quite a bit. And it looked good. Um, he threw it a lot to righties, getting a lot of swings and misses and some awkward swings on it, too. Uh, I talked to a scout there, and he said that he thought the changeup was much improved. Hmm. I talked to Kirby, and he said that his feel and his confidence for the pitches is much, much better than it was a year ago. So that's a very interesting um, addition to his arsenal. I mean, he's always had it, but it's always kind of been an average you know, third pitch. Um, so he was impressive, of course, but we expected Kirby to be impressive. Right. But Connor Jones, um, yeah, he made just one start last year. Um, it was a midweek start, so this was his, his uh, first weekend shot. And uh, before the season began, Brian O'Connor told me he thought he had the best fall of any pitcher that he had, you know, really putting the pieces together, his breaking stuff, his command. And uh, he brought it on Saturday, um, throwing a really heavy fastball. Um, he's a sinker guy, a lot of late life on it getting a lot of guys looking, a lot of righties on the outside corner with the ball that tailed back uh, yeah. onto the corner. Um, a lot of swings and misses on his on his slider. Um, he's around 84 to 86 with the slider. Hmm. Um, the scout told me he was 92 to 96 with the fastball, um, sitting more 92 to 94. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, command can be a little better. It was He was missing really far outside and inside at times. He's got so much but, life on that fastball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, he seems like he's always going to have a little struggle with that, you know, from time to time. And you have that yeah. kind of life anyway. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he struggled a little bit with the breaking ball, too, sometimes breaking a little too much. But... You know, he was he was certainly very impressive. I mean, I, I talked to talked to a scout in the second inning, and he was like, "They're not going to hit him today." <laughs> right. So, and and they didn't. They they really didn't. He, um, you know, and his ground balls galore. You know, really nothing hit out of the infield, 
And uh, he also, he added a splitter to his repertoire. I talked to him after the game and because hmm. um, his changeup, he didn't really have a good feel for a changeup. So he's gone to the splitter instead, and he's been able to throw that for strikes and it gives him a third all, pitch. You can play all freshmen in the outfield if you're going to uh, get to yeah. 17 ground balls, to six fly balls, and just look at the box score is the ratio there. And, Jim, those two guys, are to me, are such, such similar stories. Mm-hmm. Kirby and Jones were both big-time guys out of high school, uh, both kind of d- – Tell scouts I'm going to UVA. Don't even draft me. Kirby didn't even take the didn't take the ML scout, the scouting bureau drug test to avoid being drafted. Uh, goes to UVA. They both kind of struggle as freshmen, especially with life. You know, with their life on their pitches. They didn't command the fastball enough to really pitch as big time contributors as freshmen. But as sophomore, you know, Kirby really from freshman to sophomore, he really made the leap. Yep. Winds up starting the national championship, the final. And Connor Jones, it's early. But all the evidence is that he made the leap. He made the leap in the fall, and he's trying to make it in the spring. And that was clearly a reason why UVA was ranked four for us. Um, who, who else maybe jumped out to you in the top ten? Like Houston did to me. I know you worked yes, a feature on those guys. They kind of went as planned this weekend. They hit for power. Uh, they pitched. I mean, that, that's a team I think we both discussed in the preseason. Not a lot of holes for the Cougars. No, yeah. And it was a little bit of a surprise. They gave, um, actually, they gave Andrew Landtrip the start on uh, the opening night, which right. was a little bit of a surprise over uh, Jake LeMoyne and Aaron Garza, but I mean, all those guys threw. They all looked like they threw uh, pretty well. And so yeah, the power was the big thing. So they did not hit many home runs last year, and I forget how many they hit in total this weekend. But now they hit a couple on opening night, and they hit, a, you know, they, they hit a couple more the rest of the weekend. But, but I mean, that was the real kind of separator for me evaluating that team for this year compared to last year was just how much power they brought in with getting guys like Rice and Iriart uh, from junior college. Those guys are gonna make a big difference in that lineup and. And they just look really. They just. They just look like a really complete team. And um, I mean, I know Minnesota is not the stiffest competition they'll face, but still, I mean, that was a. You know, it was a good start, and that's they get a couple of comfortable wins, and they find a way to pull out a close win on Sunday to uh, to finish the sweep. I mean, it seems like a. It made, I, mean, I don't know if they had this planned out this perfectly. Uh, maybe Todd Waiting did. He's a pretty good coach, but to have the young talent they had, and, the, and then to supplement it with these JUCO guys, Ian Rice and Chris Eriart. And Iriart led California JUCOs in home runs last year. Now he comes out and hits two home runs opening weekend. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you can't script it any better. And oh, by the way, the first two games they give up one run in two games. Yeah. And as you expect, Minnesota's not going to roll over. It's a good program. Um, they give them a, a really good third game. But that top five in our rankings with Texas Tech there at five, those teams don't have big holes. You know, Virginia kind of has one to me without McCarthy, but I mean they certainly are going to have talent. And their you know their position player talent reminds me of Vanderbilt's pitching talent. Vanderbilt's always going to have a next guy up, and Van, you know, Virginia recruits so well. They're always going to have young athletes to step in, as long as O'Connor and uh, and Coach Mack are there, uh, Kevin McMullen. They're they're always going to have that. And then you know Florida and, and TCU, no surprise for those two teams. Um, and I guess the, the only surprising series, I guess, was the Oklahoma State Arizona State series, which really in the big picture. Number eight goes to number 18 and loses two out of three. I mean, that's not really a big surprise. The biggest surprise might have been the crowds at Phoenix Muni. Yeah, that was that was an impressive showing. I watched the uh, streams of a couple of those games. I watched the, I think I watched most of the Friday night game. That looked like a fun atmosphere. Everyone was really into it. And I'll say it ends with a walk-off home run in the 10th inning. You can't get much better than that. And um, it's an exciting start for the for the Tracy Smith era out there. And I will say I kind of... I thought, I mean, it's only one weekend, so you can't make any big conclusions. I thought um, thought Oklahoma State would have pitched better. I mean, they got 
I think all three of their starters didn't got knocked out pretty early. Um, so I, we'll, we'll see how that develops. But um, right. overall, I mean, they're, they should. I think they'll be fine in the long run. Obviously, Arizona State, we know they can hit. And if this uh, Colby Woodmancy comes along, I mean, that could be a, a real difference maker. I agree with you as far as the, when you're really looking at Oklahoma State. That is the question for them. That's it's a loaded Big Ten, Big Twelve mm-hmm. potentially. We have them third out of our four Big Twelve teams in the top ten coming into the year, but they did lose key contributors last year. And you kind of the guys who were back are good, mm-hmm. but the guys who got all the wins and got most of the saves were the moment of truth guys out of the bullpen. Those are the guys they lost. So I'm that that's a caveat for me for Oklahoma State. We didn't knock them down the, down the rankings too hard. Yeah. Um, you lose two out of three on the road on, against a ranked team where right. it's two close right. games. And then you, you know, I think one of the things we always talk about is that one of the marks of a good team is you don't get swept. And they, you know, they got off the mat and found a way to win that Sunday game, even if it was a bit of an adventure. I think they almost blew a big lead, but they did pull it out. And so that's, that's to their credit. This is the whole reason that. Arizona State moved off campus. I mean, mm-hmm. number one, there are just too many. Arizona's lousy with ballparks. <laughs> you have plenty of ballparks. Number two, campus land is hard to find for all these colleges. That's why that's one of the things that, you know, drove Cal. Like, well, if we drop our baseball program, we don't spend that money. We can use the Evans Diamond for other stuff. I mean, this is one of the drivers for a lot of these schools that they're trying to look, save money. They see these on-campus ballparks in some ways. They're not making money off it. They see it as land they can use. Um, and that's one of the things that happened at ASU. But also, Phoenix Muni was uh, it's a legacy kind of ballpark. I, I went there for 2004 spring training, and um, I remember meeting Andre Ethier back on the backfield, <laughs> eating lunch. I was looking for Brad Sullivan, who was a former Houston pitcher and first-round pick, I think, in 2003. So I was looking for Brad, and I ran into Andre Ethier. I was like, oh, I quoted his career to him, and that always, always seems to impress people, uh, players or otherwise, or ex-players. They seem to like being reminded of when they were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Andre Ethier was extremely confident, I recall. But that, I mean, that's a great setup there, and it's not far from campus for Arizona State. Um, that has potential, and I think also when you see what Arizona did with their facilities, when they moved to High Corbett, uh, you're able to market a little bit differently. Uh, that, that has real potential for Arizona State, especially early in the year with the weather there. And it's a big-time baseball community, and, I think that the, if the ASU student body and the old-school ASU fans respond, uh, you mix that in with a new coach and I think a little bit more energy in that program, uh, that has some upside potential, not just for this year but for the future for Arizona State baseball. And um, They're going to keep getting tested early. Mm-hmm. What, what was the quote that Tracy Smith had there in the Big 12 Invitational, basically? Yeah, like, yeah they think, or the, I think his quote was, we're going to sew the Big 12 uni- logo into our uniforms because they're uh... – like, yeah, we told you they played. They have a midweek game with Oklahoma, and then they play TCU this uh, coming weekend, which is probably I looked at. That's one of the marquee series uh, for this coming weekend, uh, along with uh, UCLA and North Carolina is another one. But uh, they're that's probably the that's probably might be the biggest one of the uh, coming up here. And one of their big weekend series this weekend was Texas and Rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you previewed that, Mike, and uh, uh, call it a draw with the first four games. Uh, they split the four game series. Uh, what were your impressions of that Texas Rice series? What stood out to you from that four-game set? Right. Well, going into it, um, I looked at really their weekend rotations, questions on, in both weekend rotations because of injuries primarily. And, uh, you know, with, with, with Texas, uh, Casey Clemens made his his first collegiate start after playing first base last year, coming back from, from labrum surgery, and he wasn't great. Um, right. Eight, eight earned runs, eight hits. Um, two walks, no strikeouts, and three innings, um, which wasn't a great debut for him. And 
um, Chad Chad Hollingsworth had some struggles um, as well, and as as did Josh Sawyer. It really wasn't a, a great showing for that rotation. And you know, uh, both Clemens and Hollingsworth are, are guys that are coming off of surgery. Hollingsworth had uh, surgery for a shoulder impingement over the summer, so they're not, you know, they, they have some limited um, workloads right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether they're able to get their velocity back, whether they're able to, you know, get get back to what they're capable of doing for Texas. I mean, that's something to definitely watch. Um, they're able to hit, um, you know, it was a it was a back and forth series, but uh, you know, I'm interested in seeing how their pitchers do. As far as Rice, um, I, I know they they like uh, their freshman Ricardo Salinas a lot, um, a, a starter, and he had a good start uh, through seven innings for them, I believe. Um, you know, a guy, a three-pitch pitcher, not overpowering, but he's a sinker baller, right. has a slurvy kind of breaking ball, and he's a guy that they really like, and I think a big development for them is they got Jordan Stevens back, who was their Friday night guy last year before um, three weeks into the season needed Tommy John, uh, but he threw an inning, a scoreless, hitless inning. Um, so, you know, it's going to take a while to build him back up, but wouldn't be surprised if he makes his way into the rotation at some point. Jim, I'll tell you, the guy on these two teams who stands out the most to be uh... – I'm, I love Ben Johnson, the outfielder for Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, he homered once this weekend. Uh, I mean, I understand why you know, Jose gets a, a lot of attention. He's a really great player. He was great in Omaha last year. Mm-hmm. They've got two catchers in Barrera and Cantu who they like. Both of guys are prospects. But to me, Ben Johnson is like one of the undersold. There are not too many college outfielders who, to me, are prospects. He is a legit prospect with his athleticism. He was a two-sport guy in high school. I like Ben Johnson. I'm not sure if any guy on on either of these teams stands out for you, not necessarily just off this weekend, but I don't know if you have a personal fave. I know you saw Rice a couple of years ago in the Super Regional over to Raleigh. Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, the guys, I mean, I liked, I remember Ford Stainback's been uh, good, he was good that weekend in that Super Regional. He had a good weekend. Uh, Leon Bird's a, kind of a fun guy to watch. You know, he was Bird's center kind of, fielder then, now he's at yeah. uh, shortstop. Um, he, he's, there's something he's, there with him. He's a, mm-hmm. clearly an athlete that they want in the middle of things. You know, I don't know what his pro profile is. But he can hit. It sounds like, but they, he needs to be in the middle of things mm-hmm. for Rice to be what it wants to yeah, be. He's a he's a real catalyst out there, and uh, they were really excited about him in the fall. He had the best fall of anyone. Um, I think his OPS was like one point one six or something, something like that. So he, you know, he, they're going to count on him. He's batting third this weekend for sure. And then uh, you know, th- then there was some power in this series. Both those teams are, are I mean, the last few years have been. Pitching defense teams, that's definitely been Augie Garrido's M.O. at Texas. You know, Rice has hit home runs in the past. Um, I guess the main thing is there were more home runs this weekend. Definitely we're still like we're it. still totaling it up. But the anecdotal evidence is more offense, Jim. Definitely. Yeah, I felt like uh, I think I, I mentioned this during our, our top 25 meeting, but when I was writing those uh, nightly recaps, there were – felt like, I was, you know, each one was, you know, somebody hit his first career homer or something like that. And, right. Uh, I remember writing uh, Brandon Lau from Maryland, homered, I think, in each of the first two games, and he had he hit one all of last year. I mean, there were but felt like there were a bunch of stories like that, and I mean, certainly, I mean, it's like you said, it's only one weekend. We can't say definitively, but it certainly felt like there was more power and more higher scoring games just all all over the country. A lot of twenty plus scoring games too. <laughs> That tends to happen when a team from New Jersey plays a team from Miami on the first weekend. Uh, you know, Miami takes advantage of that, and I, I think everybody would as well. But the one that stood out to me was UCLA. Putting all UCLA those scores runs. 40-something runs in the series. I mean, like, seriously, when is the last time that happened? That, that's, that, that, that has to be in the, in the release somewhere of, uh, of that offensive outburst from a UCLA team. Um, I know they thought they were going to be more offensive, but that's almost 
inevitable. <laughs> but for UCLA especially, how much less offensive can they be? I mean, they didn't score anything. I don't think it was possible. Exactly. <laughs> for the last couple of years. Um, so you see Mississippi State with the points. The, the, the points. The runs they put up. That's that's an old uh, that's an old Skip Bertman joke. They're called runs, sir. When the when the fans would complain about that they weren't scoring enough points at LSU, he would say to the fans, they're called runs, sir. But uh, I still am a little bit in college basketball mode. But even Oregon scored some runs this weekend. So, um, again, it's inevitable that uh, that we're going to talk about the balls a lot this year. Did you notice anything in person when you were there, Mike? You saw NC State, Jim. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you saw yeah, some saw, balls carrying. Yeah, no, I think I saw four home runs. I think if you if you you know calculate, you add the 15-foot factor, I think – only one of them would have been last year, and there were. It did feel like there were balls where it kind of. There were some line drives that hit over a guy's heads. He wondered how much it carried, how much more that that played into it, and you know, it, I mean, it just felt like there were more. You know, more balls were getting driven. Just watching, uh, just watching guys, you know, take their hacks and everything. Did, did you notice it in Greenville at all, Mike? Uh, I mean, there were three home runs hit overall, um, all in Virginia: two by Thice and, and one by Pinera, which was his first career home run. Um, you know, it was it was very windy there, which may have knocked some balls down. Um, there were a lot of well-struck balls. Uh, watching batting practice, um, there's one uh, Luke Lowry on ECU first baseman slash DH, DH type. Uh, right. He hit a ball almost out to the street um, behind left field. You know, almost caused a minor traffic incident out there. So, <laughs> uh, you know, there there are some balls that carried. You know, I don't know if it's you know it's hard to to say if there's a big difference. You know, especially in that ballpark too. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, with three home runs hit, you know, it's, it's nice to see some long balls. Well, the thing that stood out to me, and I'm trying to find the tweet, because it looks like Damani Leach has actually deleted it. <laughs> but Damani Leach is like the head of the baseball championship for the NCAA. And he, if you still go through his timeline, there's still a lot of, um, there's a lot of tweets about, stories about the baseball. And he tweeted on February 13th, congrats to Terps Baseball and UK Baseball on their opening day home runs. Here's hoping for many more to come around the U.S. This matters to the NCAA because the NCAA makes money off the Caldwell Series. And they make a lot of money. And they didn't used to make money. (laughs) They used to lose money on college baseball. The last year, the 48-team tournament, they lost a quarter of a million dollars on college baseball at the tournament level. And the next year, it turned into a profit. It's been profitable every year of the 64-team era. But all the money they've invested in Omaha and and the way they want to push the sport, um, which they didn't use to, they saw those efforts backtracking with what's happened with a .39 home runs per game. I know college baseball fans are tired of hearing of it, but it, the reason you keep hearing about it is that they matter in the uh, to the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And when the head of the baseball championship is tweeting about that, that just lets you know that it matters. So we're going to keep talking about it as long as it matters to these guys. And I will say that last year in in Omaha, which I mean, all those all those games were such a drag. Base. <laughs> they really were. And there was just there was so I mean, I don't know how you you just there was so little energy just in the stadium in the whole crowd. I mean, people you have people a lot of people leaving early and just kind of tuning out because you knew once it was two to nothing that the game was over and no one no one could score. I mean, it's just that there was no way to paint that as, as a anything but a problem that had to be addressed and I don't know so I mean they I think it kind of reflects the urgency they had to feel about we got to do something about this that's it I mean it's their championship 
And I imagine that they've had the same questions in basketball in that UConn-Butler championship game that was just an atrocious abomination of basketball. <laughs> it was the worst. The worst, Jerry. It wasn't good. It was horrible. And you hear the angst. You hear the angst from ESPN when they do college basketball. ESPN broadcasts a lot of college basketball. And they really want college basketball to be more entertaining. And you hear the angst when you hear CBS guys do it because they have March Madness and they want more offense in college basketball. You know, it's inevitable. I know people get, I know baseball guys can be purists about it and and they get tired of hearing about it, but you're going to hear it is inevitable. We're using that hashtag. It, you're going to hear about it all year. So. It, it all, and on the flip side, from the from the pitcher's perspective, you know, talking to a couple of pitchers this weekend, I mean, it seems like all the pitchers all love the ball, too. You know, it's not just an offensive thing. I mean, Nathan Kirby says he absolutely loved it. Connor Jones says he loved it. Both of them said it's added a little sink um, to, to their fastballs, which, you know, for them who, you know, throw a lot of two-seamers, it's a, it's a great right. thing. And, you know, uh, Patrick Hallmark, the pitching coach over at Rice, you know, noticed the same kind of thing. You know, he sees guys who, through straight fastballs, come in with a lot more life on their fastball. So, Which should allow you to throw more fastballs and uh, get more early count, soft contact, mm-hmm. which should lead to better things. So uh, we could go. I think the ball has a cumulative effect. It's not more than this 15-feet carry. It really should result in more confidence for hitters, fewer bunts, more confidence from pit- coaches and their in their in their players. Let's hope that's what happens. So we don't talk about the equipment anymore down the line because but it, it, we're going to talk about it. Anything else in the top twenty-five you guys want to touch on? I wanted to touch on some of these uh, position switches and changes right. and that kind of stuff real quick that um, stand out to me. I, I I thought North Carolina had a good weekend. I mean, it was Seton Hall, but. Um, you know, obviously JP Bukowskis, he he came out throwing throwing gas. You know, yes, hit ninety six, ninety seven. You know, right out of the gate. Um, and our a former intern Carlos Colazzo was there and sent us a detailed report. Which he was, was a little giddy about it. He was he was giddy about him, and uh, you know, it sounds like it was rightfully so. And you know, I thought you know Benton Moss too, a, a good sign for you and for UNC that he started well on Saturday. The senior guy, a guy who's always had a lot of potential, but hasn't right. necessarily lived up to it. We definitely thought that uh, you know you return your entire weekend rotation. Zach Gallon was solid as a freshman, mm-hmm. but JB Bukowskis is just too good, and right. I think he's the highest ranked. High school player from last year's draft. He's playing Division One baseball this spring. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, he's a big deal, you know. So the fact that he threw that well, performed well. Mm-hmm. It was really cold here this weekend. He pitched on Saturday. It was pretty blustery. It was 50 degrees. But it was blustery, windy, that kind of thing. Um, that's a really good start. So uh, I've definitely I've interacted with some scouts around here locally who think we're a little low on the Tar Heels in terms of our rankings. Mm-hmm. And I responded back. My big question with them is is infield defense, right? And they think that's a legitimate concern. But if you have guys like Moss who has a breaking ball, he knows how to miss bats. Thornton, we know he knows how to put hitters away. Mm-hmm. We've seen that on that 2013 team, not to mention last year. And you have Bukowskis, who's a big power arm. I mean, their worst outing of the weekend was Riley Hovis, yeah, who I think is their best pitcher. Yeah. So that is a, that's an interesting club. I guess in the top 25, Jim, the other thing that stood out to me was South Carolina. Mm. Um, we like Kyle to Charleston. They were definitely in their I, consideration for the mm-hmm. preseason top 25. And uh, South Carolina, Tyler Widener, they went to Tyler Widener early in one of those games to lock down that game. That was a very competitive opening series and great attendance there as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, quali- that's going to be a quality series win for them. Um, you know, obviously we've kind of thought they don't, South Carolina doesn't always challenge itself that much in non-conference play, other than the Clemson series, obviously every year. Right. So stepping up to play CFC to start the year, so that's a you know that's a really good series win. Oh, albeit without uh, having to face Bailey Ober, but um, 
you know, they fight back after losing on opening day, and, and Will Crow sounds like he was really good, and obviously we talked about Widener. He's, he's a, he can be a big guy for them because I know they were thinking about using him either as a uh, as a starter or as a as a closer. So that's you know, so it'll be interesting to what uh, what role he ultimately fills for the course of the year. But um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a good series win for the Gamecocks. And um, actually, John, I just want to throw to you. I'm sure you have a a quick take on the uh, the the Titans. Yeah, I know you've been you've been in very much a Titan mode uh, this preseason, and I'm a little uh, that's invested. A, that's I'm a little a, invested. That's kind of a that's a a mixed mixed showing down there in Clearwater. It was. I mean, the bottom line is, no matter what, you can't lose to Alabama State if you're Cal State Fullerton. You can't lose to a SWAC team, even a good SWAC team, a well coached SWAC team, which we know Marvel Melendez does a great job there. But uh, the positive spin for the Titans is they did rebound on Sunday and score eight runs against Louisville, the best team they saw. They scored eight runs. They got a great start on Thomas Eshelman without the wig, without the mustache. <laughs> Eshelman uh, throws very well, 10 strikeouts. He did walk a batter, which is newsworthy. characteristic. Number 12 of his career. Um, but that's not an encouraging start for the Titans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Three yeah, runs in two games or whatever was the first. That's it. Yeah. You don't need to get uh, – you don't need to do much to get chewed out by Rick Vanderhoek. Yeah. But, you know, there's a little bit of – we dropped the Titans from the rankings this weekend. That's just, you know, you're number 23. You go one and two, uh, even with a win against a ranked team. That's not uh, what you're looking for. So not the droids they were looking for, not the weekend they were looking for. So um, and then you got to get Justin Garza healthy. So uh, you you know you're going to lose some starts when Eshelman starts when you don't hit. Um, But they're relying on a large group of sophomores and juniors who have never gotten it done uh, in college yet. And you know they struggled offensively last year with Matt Chapman and with JD Davis. We assumed a lot of those players, I assumed in ranking that team, that they were going to make the leap. So far, they really haven't. I still think the guy to watch there is uh, offensively is Scotty Hurst. Had a great summer in the Alaska League last year. was the best offensive player in the Alaska League. I think he's just a classic top of the lineup, big west. He can push. He can drag. He can do all those things. He can take a dose. He can line drive to the gaps. To me, that's going to be the catalyst. But Steve, Jeffries, A.J. Kennedy, some of these guys are going to have to step forward and uh, do it for the Titans. And, and the first weekend, they didn't do it. So um, I still have confidence in their offensive ability, but um, not an encouraging first weekend uh, there for, for, for Cal State Fullerton. Uh, let's wrap up with a couple of position changes, role changes. You guys both saw that in person. I just talked to uh, uh, Illinois coach, uh, the pitching coach there, Drew Dickinson, about Tyler J. A lot of draft prospects, um, relief pitcher draft prospects, there's a little to-do on Twitter, as Keith Laws want to do. He'd stir it up on Twitter, and he stirred it up a little bit this weekend about UC Santa Barbara's uh, Dylan Tate, who's relieving um, one of Dylan Tate's uh, rotation mates or uh, staff mates last summer with the college national team was Tyler J, everyday Tyler J of uh, Illinois. He pitched every day out of the bullpen last year for the college national team because he was their only left-hander. But now the uh, Illini want to move him into the rotation, so he started this weekend. He goes five innings on Sunday. But you look up his whole stats for the weekend, he pitched six innings. So I called Drew Dickinson, their pitching coach, um, former Illini left-hander whose fastball topped out at 84. Tyler J's changeup is 86-88. So Tyler J's changeup is harder than Drew Dickinson's fastball. And he got the double A. So Drew's a little jealous of his uh, best pupil. But uh, it, they, they relieved Tyler J Saturday and started him Sunday. So... Pretty unusual. I, you've seen the guys who relieve on Friday and then start Sunday. But the Illini uh, took a 4-2 lead in the bottom of the eighth inning 
So they warmed up Tyler J to get that win Saturday through seven innings on Saturday. Then he started Sunday. I think that's not ideal, and you could tell Drew Dickinson was a little, you know, he was ready to be defensive if I, if I really went after him on pitching him Saturday and starting him Sunday. But in general, his attitude, and Drew Dickinson was drafted in 2002. He was in the Moneyball draft for uh, either 2001 or 2002. He was in the Moneyball draft that for, for Oakland. He was an Oakland A's farmhand. So he said, I just kind of take a Moneyball approach to it. Do I want to get 80 to 100 innings out of my best arm? Or do I want to get 40 to 60 innings? And he says, look, our charge here is to win. But I think we're going to win more if Tyler J goes 80 to 100 innings. Versus 40 to 60. Meanwhile, Dylan Tate, Riley Farrell at TCU, mm-hmm. both pitched in relief this weekend. Where do you stand on that one, Jim? Like, it seems like you can see both sides, but when so many big league teams, especially in the World Series, you see the Royals basically get to the World Series with five inning starters and then a parade of power arms. It's hard to blame college staffs for using the same approach. How, how do you view that? If you had Tyler J and you're uh, Dan Hartlieb and the Illinois coaching staff, would you start him or do you think you'd use him in the release so you could affect two games a weekend as opposed to one? I've always been a, a believer in you you want your best arms throwing as many innings as possible. So I would uh, I would keep I would keep these guys as starters uh when you know assuming they're they're cut out for that. But um yeah I mean it's it's an interest I mean it is it's an interesting dilemma. I mean it's I think in college when you've got a shorter season in each game there's more weight on each game. I can see the you know the the um, see the point on, on having it wanting a guy to be able to pitch twice in a weekend. That's um, you know if you that if the guy closes two conference series, you know closes the two games, you win a conference series. I mean that's a that's a big deal. But um, I mean I'm but I I, I weigh I weigh in on on wanting my guys my best guys to throw as many innings as they can. I think the challenge, Mike, for a lot of these teams is you can move your top arm into the rotation if you feel comfortable with someone else. Closing with Illinois, I'm blanking on his name, but it's a sophomore. I believe it's uh, Connor Sedlock, Cody Sedlock, I should say, who they closed with this weekend. Who's got a power arm, so they feel good enough about Cody Sedlock as a closer that they're going to move Jay into that rotation spot. But I, if Jay struggles in the rotation in pre-conference, and or Sedlock struggles in relief in the pre-conference, they get the Big Ten play and they have some problems in the bullpen. Tyler Jay's going back to the bullpen, <laughs> draft or not. Illinois wants to get the regionals. Meanwhile, Virginia seems like they do. They had to replace Nick Howard. Mm-hmm. It feels like they have enough. It's almost like we have enough starters that we can move Jay's uh, Spores or Josh Spores to the bullpen. Right. It seems like that's the way they they went with it, as opposed to they they had enough pitching enough rotation arms where they could put him in the bullpen. Right. Right, right. They it really they they swapped uh, Connor Jones for Josh Spores. I mean, yeah. with, with as good a fall as Connor Jones had, I think they felt comfortable. Uh, moving him to the rotation and then moving Josh Bors, who started for them, who's been a starter for them, moving him um, to the bullpen into the closing role. Um, Brian O'Connor told me, you know, before the season even began, that they they picked Spores because they think stuff-wise he complements or is most comparable to Nick Howard, yeah, um, fastball slider um, kind of guy. And uh, you know, this weekend they threw him to the fire right away. The the very first game, bases loaded, one out in the eighth inning, he came in. And uh, he allowed one run, inherited run to score, but um, you know he didn't give up a single hit um, in, in, in two thirds. And then he got a save the next night 
Um, didn't give up a hit and had a strikeout. So he hasn't allowed a hit yet in the closing role, and he looks confident. And he, and looks he was composed. good on back-to-back. I mean, yeah. that, that's the key. Yeah. Whether you're in pro ball or in college baseball, if you're going to be the man out of the bullpen, you're going to have to go back-to-back nights. Yeah. And you're going to have to be able to throw strikes with quality stuff. And Zbors he made 27 relief appearances as a freshman, 30 appearances overall. So he had a couple saves that year. But in that relief role, you get 50 innings out of him. As a starter, Jim, they got 77 innings out of him last mm-hmm. year. That's really the dilemma that that all those teams are struggling with, mm-hmm. and it's just not easy uh, for these coaches. And that's I think that's one part of it. It's not as easy as it seems. It's not cut and dry that you should start a guy like that. I think in general, though, I, I like what Illinois is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Tyler J. Dutt is a left-hander with a good changeup. He was 91-95 pretty consistently. If you can start him and get five, six, seven innings per game, um, I think that gives your team a better chance to win. But it's very difficult, I think, for those coaches for at this first sign of trouble to not put that guy back in a bullpen role. Mm-hmm. I, I think North Carolina is another team, frankly, Mike, that's going to have that issue mm-hmm. of they have enough starting pitching, especially if Bukowskis is good. Mm-hmm. There's going to be that temptation to put Trent Thornton back into the back of a bullpen. I don't know if, if there's another team that jumps out like that with you, uh-huh. Jim, or Mike, mm-hmm. if there are teams out there that have that kind of similar dilemma. I mean, like, you know, I think LSU knows who their starters are going to be, and they know they have a lot of depth. I think Vanderbilt, you know, faced that last year with Carson Fulmer. Yeah. Do we want him in relief or do we want him in the rotation? They had enough relief arms. You know, Hayden Stone, though, I guess, quote unquote, blows one this weekend. Right. Uh, does that affect their calculus? I mean, you wonder with all the starting depth they have, um, you know, are they going to really rely on Fulmer, who missed 20, uh, five, I should say, who missed 20 months of play and Sheffield out of their bullpen? Are they going to be tempted to ever put Carson Fulmer back there? I, now, I talked to Scott Brown, their pitching coach in Orlando. They didn't know they were tempted at all to put Fulmer back in a bullpen role, but it has to be at the back of their minds if their bullpen struggles. I just think it's very challenging for any of these clubs. And it's like Texas and Rice have similar questions about a lot of their starting pitchers, who they want in those roles. So right. it's just not as cut and dried as it is. I would love to see UC Santa Barbara uh, put Tate uh, in a starting role, but clearly the Gauchos pitched well enough this weekend. Would they give up one or two runs to BYU the whole weekend? I think two, I yeah. say. Yeah. So not a whole lot of pressure there to put him in the starting role. The issue there is getting him his work. And that's what Drew Dickinson talked about with Tyler J. If we have him in the bullpen, I'm not guaranteed that he's in a pitch. Um, what if we get blown out, if they're all blowouts? And the story we've talked about the last couple of years here that uh, sticks out, Heath Hembry, who's gotten to the big leagues with the Giants, a weekend with, Cal, uh, with the College of Charleston where he never pitched. The whole weekend, and there were a ton of scouts in to see him, um, and you didn't get to see him. So uh, he threw a bullpen when the weekend was over just for all the scouts, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, uh, a lot of heat in there to see him. You, you know, you, you, I think it does affect your recruiting when you don't showcase players for scouts. That's part of the recruiting process as well if you're a good enough player. Anything else stand out to you guys this weekend? Uh, we did have Kyle Funkhauser and – Michael Machuela both throw very well. Just mm-hmm. uh, uh, chatting with a scout before the podcast that Funkhauser was more controlled. Um, well, maybe maybe not the velocity that he showed last summer with Team USA, but seven innings, one hit, one walk. For a guy had four and a half walks per nine last year. Uh, definite progress for Kyle Funkhauser this weekend. And Machuela, eight strikeouts in six innings. And I know he talked uh, to, in the Duke uh, media release about how much he used his changeup, mm-hmm. kind of like a Nathan Kirby. So right. um, it's early, a lot of good signs for really the top college pitchers on the board coming into the year, with the exception of Walker Beeler, 
at uh, Vanderbilt. They're the three top guys, Matchwell, Funkhauser, Kirby, all threw very well this mm-hmm. weekend. So a uh, good start from the draft standpoint. Anything you guys wanted to, to uh, touch on, uh, last points before we go? Uh, you were mentioning you know, guys going from a closing role to the starting role. I mean, two other guys that kind of stand out to me are Ashton Parrott, at Liberty, who yeah. uh, he struggled this weekend. You know, the thing that's that I wonder about is, I mean, he he struggled early and then he hit a grand slam and you know <laughs> yeah. helped his own cause. But I wonder, you know, him being a two way guy as well as being a successful closer, I wonder if there's any temptation to move him back into a closing role. Then maybe you can utilize his bat more and play him in center field more. Um, and then AJ Minner at Texas A and M um, moved to the rotation from a closing role and had a had a, a nice five inning start. Um, so, you know, those are interesting guys, I think, to watch as well, where they end up. And A&M, uh, definitely a team that could use it. They had some injury issues uh, on the weekend rotation coming in, so men are kind of stepping forward for them. Right. Anybody staying out for you, Jim? And we do have actually a, a, uh, an email question as well, but uh, okay. what, what, um, what, what, anybody staying out for you this weekend? Uh, yeah, I think we've I think we've pretty well covered. Um, Dude, my, my question is Tulane. I have a Tulane email oh, wow. at the uh, podcast at baseballamerica.com email address. Kevin in Chicago asks, uh, Tulane narrowly missed sweeping Pepperdine on the road this weekend. A nice start for the Wave under David Pierce. Anything particularly encouraging that you heard out of the series for Tulane? Can Tulane compete for a regional this year? Long term, do you see Pierce getting Tulane back to being a perennial regional team? Um, I think it's almost easier to take it from the back uh, than it is forward. I I do think Tulane can be a perennial regional team. Can it be a team that gets to Omaha twice in five years? I don't know about that one. That's that's tougher. Um, you know, it took uh, Rick Jones a long time to get Tulane to that spot. Um, and when I first started at BA, it seemed like every year we did a story on Tulane winning 40 games but not getting to regionals. They were one of those teams that was always left out in the old 48 team. Uh, but they, they, they at Turchin Stadium, they can host on, on campus. Um, you know, it is a good academic school. Is it... They were at the forefront of the private schools getting really involved in baseball and making baseball a showcase sport for them. Now there are a lot of schools that try to do that. You know, they were recruiting nationally at that time. Uh, Tulane was also very good at taking advantage of the four-year transfer rule back then. So I'm not sure if they're going to be a team that gets to Omaha as regularly as they were um, uh, a, de- a decade ago. I do like David Pierce as a coach. He certainly knows the private school template from his days at Rice. Did a nice job at Sam Houston. I think he will do well at Tulane. I do think they'll be a regional team eventually. Um, I did not. I have to say, I did not really bear down on Tulane in the preseason. I know they've got the, the Carthon kid, the two-sport uh, right. player that we they, think highly of. Stephen Alamace, the shortstop, is a guy that they think highly of out of New York. They had a near no-hitter this weekend. Tim, Timmy Endell, six and a third, no-hit innings. But this is a team that, in general, to me, has really not been healthy and they never had the depth to overcome their lack of health, Jim. So uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what you guys think of them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be tough for them to compete this year anyway. I mean, they're a pretty young team, and they, I mean, they need they'll need these, a lot of these guys to get a lot better offensively. Frankly, I mean, they were pretty they were pretty woeful offense last year. But um, I mean, yeah, I, I think obviously they are they're set up to to eventually get back into be a competitive program and look at their their conference. I mean, with you know they got Louisville and UCF to contend with, but then there's kind of some. You know, it's kind of open to see who can be that that next program now with uh, Louisville gone. So I mean, there's I think the the window is there for them to to get better. Yeah, and the American is uh you know it's a good league. It's not a great league. Um, it's basically a conference USA. Now, yeah, so. exactly. It's what conference so, USA used to be, and now so. it's it's uh 
it's hard to keep track for sure. But I do know there were scouts I know who really liked Alan Mays coming out of high school, and he had a solid weekend to start for them. And, yeah, they did put up 19 runs this weekend. But that's not the same Pepperdine team yeah. that went to TCU and threw the fear of God into TCU in the Super Regional no. last year. Aaron Brown has not walked that door for the Green Wave. So, But it definitely, uh, you're looking for it's something encouraging. It's a very good start. Um, go out to Malibu and, and, and win that series on the road is a very good start. One last thing I'll throw out, guys. That we, they, they sent out the Division One baseball attendance report that Tammy Cutler, Wichita State, coordinates for the uh, NCBWA, uh, the college baseball writers. 22 schools averaged more than 2,000 fans a game this weekend, and uh, you had 14 schools that totaled 10,000 or more fans, including Arizona State, Hawaii, and of course LSU averaged almost 11,000 a game mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. Ole Miss almost 8,500 a game. It drew more than 25,000 fans this weekend. A pretty sick weekend of the opening. It seems like a very strong, robust season. There's a lot of pent up demand for baseball and for college baseball this weekend. Um, I guess it really wasn't a big surprise, but I, I was shocked. By, I guess Arizona State was really the big surprise yeah, for my attendance So, uh, good good sign. I think we're all ready, ready for college baseball to, to get started. So, and I think we're ready for the podcast to get started. We're going to be back every Monday, powered by Louisville Slugger, uh, here in the Baseball America podcast. Nook. So, for Jim and for Mike, we'll see you Friday on the Baseball America Google Plus Hangout. See you all week at BaseballAmerica.com and next week on the College Podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.